And it's fantastic to see that you're working through a series on the Sabbath. Um, Busyness is such a prevalent characteristic of our time. And if you're lucky enough to not be busy at the moment, those you know and love, your family and friends, no doubt are marked by this cultural characteristic. And last week I read the transcript of the sermon and I think James helpfully pointed out that we're not just victims of this culture around us, which is busy, but we actively take part in it. We make choices, we have priorities which lead us to live busy lives. And sometimes the motives for these aren't good. I suspect sometimes we choose to be busy as we're trying to control our life and the circumstances we live in, rather than trusting our God who is sovereign and good. I know for me, I can sometimes make my life too busy because it's a symbol of status and I haven't been looking for my identity and value in Christ. But instead of starting today by asking why do we make ourselves so busy, I want us to consider why does God want us, his people, to be less busy? Why did God give his people the Sabbath? And last week in Genesis 2, you saw that the Sabbath was an expression of God's good rule over creation. That as one observed the Sabbath, they were acknowledging that there was a good creator who was sustaining the world whilst they rested. Today, though, you might have picked up in the Exodus reading, there's a different reason or purpose for the Sabbath, which accompanies this other one, and it's related to holiness. Uh, We often hear the word Sabbath and we naturally associate it with rest. We go, Sabbath rest is the first thing that probably comes to mind. But in the Old Testament, the thing that's most associated with the Sabbath is holiness. We actually see this in Genesis 2. When God rested from his work of creation, it says God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. When we think of holiness in the Bible, I think we think of holy places a lot of the time. You know, when Moses is at the burning bush, uh, he hears that he's standing on holy ground and he's commanded to take off his sandals. Uh, We know that in the tabernacle and the temple, there is the construction of the most holy place. And I think we often think of holiness with a spatial place sort of connection. Uh, But it's worth recognising that the uh, the Sabbath, the seventh day, is called holy. It is different to the others. It is set apart, special. It's got a special purpose. Before we look at Exodus 31, though, I want to remind us of the context of Exodus. Now, can we please have the slides up? Two, four, do I have to click here? Ah, click it. Slides are up already. Um, The story of Exodus is that of God's people, the descendants of Abraham, the ones who had received great promises and this special covenant relationship with the Lord, who were enslaved in Egypt. God brings his people out of Egypt. He redeems them from slavery with an outstretched arm and through mighty acts of judgment. And he does this through a man, a mediator, Moses. And you may remember that Moses, the Lord leads his people by Moses through the desert. And in Exodus 16, the Sabbath is mentioned for the first time. The people were told to gather food each day as the Lord provided for them. But on the sixth day, they were told to gather twice as much. Because the seventh was a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So even before the law was given, the Lord was giving the people a pattern, this day of rest. 
And as the people journey through the desert, they make it to Mount Sinai and the Lord appears to his people in great glory and he gives these words to speak to his people through Moses. And this is the context of the covenant law which is given. The Lord says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you should speak to the people of Israel. Before the law is given, the Lord reminds his people that he has redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. And they are now called to obey and to keep his covenant to be his treasured possession, the kingdom of priests, and this holy nation. Israel is called to be different from others, set apart for the Lord, And their Sabbath day of rest was one of the key things that marked them out from the nations. They were no longer slaves that were constantly working in Egypt, but they were commanded one day a week to stop. In chapters 19 to 24, Israel receives the covenant law, and then in 25 to 31, the Lord gives instructions for building the tabernacle. And our passage today, Exodus 31, uh, comes at the conclusion of this section. And it seems a bit out of place, doesn't it? Why does the Lord remind his people at this point to observe the Sabbath after giving the instructions for building the tabernacle? Some people think it's to remind Israel you've been given this important task to build the tabernacle where you'll meet with your Lord. Don't work on the seventh day. Make sure you keep observing that. And that there's some you know, logic and reason in, in that instruction being given. But I actually think there's more going on and there's this theme of holiness that keeps coming up. There is a holy God who has set his people apart as holy. He's building this holy place where he would dwell among his people and he is reminding them of this holy time, the Sabbath. In verse 12 we heard these words in Exodus 31. The Lord said to Moses, you're to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Did you notice the language at the start which highlights the importance of this instruction? Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. And the Sabbaths were so important for Israel as they acted as a sign. They reminded the people of Israel that the Lord was the one who sanctifies them. And this word sanctify literally means to make holy. The Lord was the one who made Israel holy. And the Sabbath reminded of them every week that this was, a, this was true. I actually think um, a wedding ring is a helpful way to illustrate this point. In a marriage ceremony, a bride and a groom, they give each other rings. Um, I actually can't remember what I said to Tess on the day of my wedding, so I'm really glad we used a church liturgy so I can look up, what did I actually promise you? Oh yes, that's it. And on the day, uh, this is what we said to each other. We said, I give you this ring as a symbol of our marriage. We also said, I receive this ring as a symbol of your love and faithfulness. Now, does wearing this ring today make me married? No. If I go to the shed and I take my ring off because 
I don't want to hurt my finger when I'm working with the power tools. I'm still married to Tess in that moment. But when I see the ring, it's a constant reminder of the marriage we have, of the promises that we have made together, of the obligations we've willingly taken on, and of the blessing of being in that relationship. And likewise, the Sabbath is a sign to remind Israel that the Lord was the one who made them holy. In observing the Sabbath, that didn't make Israel holy. But each week as they did that, they reminded themselves that they were God's special covenant people. They were to enjoy the blessing of this covenant relationship, this day of great rest and joy of worship and obedience. It reminded them that the Lord was not only their creator, but the one who had redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. That they were called to be a holy nation. So above all, Israel is to observe this Sabbath as a constant reminder of who the Lord is and that he is the one who makes Israel holy. In verse 14, we read, You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes the Sabbath shall be put to death. Whoever does work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. The language here is that the Sabbath is holy for the people. It sets Israel apart from the nations. Uh, In your notes, I've included actually Deuteronomy 5, which has this Sabbath command repeated. Um, Now, if you're not familiar with the context of Deuteronomy, uh, it's sort of like Moses' final sermon. He's on the edge of the land, close to his death. The people are about to go into the promised land after they're wandering in the wilderness. And here Moses applies the law to this new generation of Israelites. And in verse 12, he says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God has brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was to be kept because it was holy for Israel. And I hope you can see from this passage in Deuteronomy is that it was for all the people. Not just the upper class who rested whilst the servants kept working, no. It's very clear that all the people in the land, the servants, even the sojourners, those who aren't from the land, who are there, were to rest. And did you notice even animals were mentioned? I reckon all the animals back in that day wished they were Israelite, just having a day off each week. There's a pattern here, a pattern in creation and also from redemption that reminds the people to rest. And in the law, we actually see other periods of Sabbath rest. So we've talked about the Sabbath day, which occurred each week. Uh, But Israel was also called to observe the Sabbath year. Uh, You can read about this later in Deuteronomy 15 or Leviticus 15. Each seven years, there was a, a year of rest for the land. The land wasn't to be sown and reaped from, but it got a break. Debts were forgiven in this year. I wish our mortgage broker obeyed the Sabbath year test. It would be great. 
Every seven Sabbaths was the year of Jubilee, another pattern. Every 49 years, a time of great celebration. And interestingly, it kicks off on the Day of Atonement. This time of people remember how their sins are forgiven. Uh, this time of liberty is proclaimed throughout the land for all the people, where there was a year of rest from work, returning to family, restoration of people and the land, a time of great blessing and a time which is also described as holy for the people. So the Sabbath day was for the people of Israel. It reminded them they had been redeemed. They were no longer slaves. And doesn't this paint a beautiful picture of what God is like? A good, generous God. A God who commands his people to rest, to worship him, to know that he is a good master who gives good gifts to enjoy the blessing of living under his rule. The Sabbath was for the people of Israel. And in verse 15, it makes clear that six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. The Sabbath wasn't just a day to do whatever you wanted, but it was a day that was holy to the Lord. It was set apart for him. In Isaiah 58, there's a great passage which reminds the people as they delight in the Sabbath, in honouring that, that would enable them to delight in their Lord, to remember him. So I hope you can see from Exodus 31 that the Sabbath is all about holiness. It reminded Israel that the Lord was the one who made them holy. It was holy for the people. It marked them out as different, no longer slaves, but free to serve the Lord. And the day was holy to the Lord. A day of rest, yes, but a day of worship of Yahweh. But we've seen in Exodus already the warning around the Sabbath. Do not profane the Sabbath. And the penalty was death. I think when we hear that today, we think that's quite harsh. It's just a day off. You know, what if they did a little bit of work? Isn't that okay? Uh, But part of the reason of that is we have lost the significance of holiness in the world around us. There's a book that came out uh, last year. It's called 15 Words of Life and it's a biblical scholar who looks at 15 New Testament Greek words and just explains what just flashes them out to us. Uh, But his comments on the word for holiness in the New Testament, hagios, he says it's the hardest word to translate into our culture today, into the language on the street. Because holiness is not a concept you naturally find in the world around you. It's a concept that comes directly from God. And the people of Israel understood that in profaning the Sabbath, they were not treating not only this day as holy, but their Lord as holy. Last week, James says, the one who denied the Sabbath denied that they were a creature wholly dependent upon and morally responsible to their creator. And they also denied that they were a redeemed sinner called to live by faith in their covenant God. The Sabbath was was almost the litmus test for the people of Israel, for how they were following their Lord. Were they obeying him? Were they treating their Lord as holy or not? And I suspect when that Ezekiel passage was read out for you, you probably noticed the repetition (laughs) It kind of felt like the same thing was being said over and over and over. And that's the story of Israel in the Old Testament. 
of their ongoing disobedience to their Lord. Israel ongoingly profaned the Sabbath. And this word profane, it means to pollute, to defile, to desecrate, to violate something that is special, something that is sacred. And we see particularly in the later prophets in the Old Testament, the Lord confront his people for the way they've profaned the Sabbath. Uh, We see this actually in Jeremiah, where the Lord speaks to his people through Jeremiah to warn Israel of her sin and the coming judgment. In Jeremiah's time, the people were working on the Sabbath, coming into the city of Jerusalem, bringing their load in, selling that on the Sabbath. And the Lord commands his people in Jeremiah 17, Stop working! It's a Sabbath! What are you doing? Remember the promise of covenant obedience and the blessing that will come. Remember the warning against covenant disobedience. Obey the Lord. Keep the Sabbath day holy. And your notes are printed verse 27 of Jeremiah 17. He was going around to all the gates. The people were coming in and saying this. And he gives this warning the Lord does through Jeremiah. If you do not listen to me to keep my Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and I shall devour the places of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. The Sabbath was the litmus test for the people. Would they obey their Lord and treat him as holy or would they disregard his covenant and this relationship they have been given? And sadly, the people of Israel, people of Judah, Jerusalem, they did not heed the warning of the prophet Jeremiah. They were sent into exile. They were under judgment. And that's where our reading came today, from Ezekiel chapter 20. It was during the seventh year of exile, and the elders of Israel come to the Lord to inquire of him. But the Lord would not let them inquire. Instead, he confronted the people of Israel for their ongoing sin, for their rejection of his law, and for the way that they had profaned the Sabbath. In verse 10 to 14, the Lord reminds his people of how he led them out from Egypt. He'd given them his law. And in verse 12, it says, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Israel rebelled against the Lord. They profaned his Sabbaths. But the Lord withheld his judgment, so that his name would not be profaned among the nations. We see this next generation, the children who grow up in the wilderness, receive this warning from the Lord. The Lord said, I said to their children, do not walk in the statutes of their fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. The Lord warned the next generation, don't follow in the ways of your fathers. Follow me. Keep my Sabbath days holy. But the children rebelled against me. 
They did not walk in the statutes and were not careful to obey my rules. By which if a person does them, he shall live. They greatly profaned my Sabbath. And we see this pattern again and again in the Old Testament. If it felt repetitive, it was meant to feel that way, I think, Ezekiel 20. Because we see that Israel, generation after generation, disregarded the Lord, profaned his Sabbaths. This led to their exile. And as the Old Testament draws to an end, as Israel returns from exile, we wonder, have they learned their lesson? Have things changed? They've experienced judgment for their covenant unfaithfulness. Will they now be faithful to their Lord? Will they treat their Lord and his Sabbaths as holy? And the book of Nehemiah actually tells this story, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, The people return to Israel, to the city of Jerusalem. They start rebuilding the walls. Ezra reads out the law. The people confess their sin to the Lord. They repent. And this great moment of covenant renewal. And in Nehemiah 10, we hear the people make oaths to the Lord to obey his covenant. And in verse 31, they say, If the peoples of this land bring in any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we won't buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. We'll forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Every debt. The people commit in this covenant ceremony that we will keep the Sabbath holy. We'll keep the Sabbath year holy. But only a short time later, Nehemiah leaves to go back to King Artaxerxes. He leaves Jerusalem and on his return, what did he find? He found the people profaning the Sabbath. Only a few years later, In Nehemiah 13, verse 17, on your notes, we see Nehemiah say, I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you were doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. The people had not learned their lesson on the return from exile. Their hearts had not been changed. They continued to disobey the covenant, to profane the Sabbath, to not treat this day or their Lord as holy. And as you follow the pattern and this picture of the Sabbath in the Old Testament, as we see Israel's ongoing rebellion, what this points to is Israel's need redemption. I hope you've seen and heard last week and this week that the Sabbath was a good and gracious law. It wasn't burdensome to keep. It was a sign to remind the people that the Lord was the one who made and saved them. He was the one who made them holy. And they were different from the nations. They had a much better master than Pharaoh. A master who commanded rest and worship. They were able to rejoice in their Lord each week. Yet we see Israel's constant rebellion against the Lord and failure to keep the Sabbath. And actually what this points to is Israel's need for redemption. And actually in the book of Ezekiel, uh, the great promise of redemption comes in chapter 36. Our second reading today was from Ezekiel 20, so I thought I'd spend some time in Ezekiel to find what is the answer to this Sabbath 
profaning. And in chapter 36, the Lord highlights that Israel has profaned the Lord's name among the nations. They have not treated the Lord as holy. Yet the Lord will now act, he will intervene for the sake of his holy name. And he will do this by redeeming his people. Verse 24 of Ezekiel 36, the Lord says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. The Lord was not going to leave his people in exile, abandoned, to remain under his judgment forever. But neither would he compromise his holiness. So he promises to act for the sake of his holy name that his holiness would be vindicated in the eyes of the nation. And the Lord promises to do this by taking his people out of the nations to bring them home from exile, to cleanse his people from all of their idolatry, to give his people a new heart, not this to remove this stubborn heart of stone which constantly remains in rebellion and to give them a new heart of flesh and to put a new spirit within them that would enable them to walk in his statutes and to obey his rules. And at the end of this great passage, this promise, we see this covenant language where the Lord promises once again, you shall be my people and I will be your God. In Ezekiel, the answer to Israel's profaning of the Sabbath is never found in doing better, trying harder, setting an alarm clock to remember the Sabbath, but it's found in the Lord promising to redeem his people. And as we've seen in Nehemiah, this did not happen in the return from exile. His people's hearts were not changed then. But we know that God has fulfilled these promises in Christ. That Jesus has given his life on the cross, not only to pay for the penalty of our sins, but to cleanse us from all our idolatry and all our uncleanliness. We know that Jesus has been raised to new life by the Father and he gives new life to us. He removes our heart of stone and gives us this heart of flesh and that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to his people, a spirit which changes our desires honour and obey our Lord and that in his death Jesus has initiated the new covenant in his blood, this covenant which brings us into relationship with God where we are called his people and he is our God. Jesus is the one who enables the nations to come to know the Lord, to know the holiness of his great name. Israel's failure to keep the Sabbath points to their need for redemption and this redemption is found in Christ. 
And the first thing for us to take away today, because we're not Israelites, but it's to make clear that just as Israel needed this redemption, so do we. As we hear of Israel's constant failure to keep the Sabbath holy, it would be foolish to walk away and to think that we're different, to think we're innately better at obeying God or more wise in keeping his statutes. No, the solution to this is found in Christ for us. He also is our righteousness and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul reflects on wisdom and foolishness in the world and he has this great quote at the end of chapter 1. In verse 30 it says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it's written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The reason we're Christian today is not that we're better at keeping the Sabbath command that Israel failed constantly at, no. It's that Jesus has become our righteousness. He is our sanctification, the one that makes us holy, and he is the one who is our redemption. Second thing for us to take away today, though, is that Sabbath Sabbath observance is to remind us of who makes us holy. Now, in the coming weeks, um, James will flesh out what does Sabbath observance look like for us today, for those who are in Christ. Um, But whatever it looks like, one of the purposes of it is to remind us of who makes us holy. Christ. So I think the application from that is as you have Sabbath rest, whatever that might look like, it must be about more than just physical rest. It's nice to go for a drive in the hills on a Sunday afternoon. It's nice to go for a walk along the Torrens River on a Sunday morning, to go see the sunset Sunday afternoon at the beach. But if that is the sum total of your Sabbath, you're missing a key purpose of it. Part of the Sabbath is to remind us of who makes us holy. And that is God, and he's done that for us in Christ. It's actually one of the best things that you can do as part of your Sabbath rest is meet with your local church. Because what do you do when you come here each Sunday? Well, you worship the Lord, but you remind yourselves of the way that he has redeemed you in Christ and how you are holy in him. So the challenge coming out of today is to reflect on the purpose of Sabbath rest in your life and to consider is part of it to remind you that you were made holy in Christ. Does this regular time of rest act as a sign towards that truth? and help you remember that. Alright, to conclude today, uh, the Sabbath in the Old Testament, as we see Israel constantly fail to keep it, as they profane the Sabbath, as they don't treat the Lord as holy, what this points us to is to Israel's need for redemption. And it reminds us of our redemption that we have received in Christ. Let me read from Titus 3 to finish today. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs 
according to the hope of eternal life.